Welcome to Season 6, Episode 6 of Digital Learning Radio. I'm Nancy Watson, and I'm here with my colleagues, Misty Trevino and Catherine Laster. In this season, we're focusing on caring enough to step in for equity, care enough to spend some time in self-work, care enough to get to know your students for who they are, care enough to consider that your efforts toward equity matter. Today, we are talking to Beth Dolliver, one of Region 10's instructional designers. Beth is going to talk about some equity issues that accessibility tools can address. Welcome, Beth. Thanks, glad to be here. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you came to your role at Region 10. Well, I came from Collin College where I was an instructional designer, and before that I was at UNT for 13 years, also as an instructional designer. How did you get into the whole accessibility thing? I guess that's sort of part of being an instructional designer these days. It is. Has that that been the case the entire time that you've been an instructional designer? No. No, it was actually when I started at Region 10 that became an issue that we needed to make sure that everything was accessible to all. It's a process. Beth, some of our listeners might be wondering what accessibility means when we talk about instructional design and e-learning. What's a good definition that might help us understand accessibility a little better? Accessibility means the ability to access. It's in simple terms, that's what it means. One way to think of it is that everyone is temporarily abled. So as you are creating your materials and you're thinking, well, nobody will need it this way, everyone is temporarily abled. You can change at any moment if you fall down the stairs, break your arm, if you wake up um, and can no longer see, even if it's just a temporary issue, it means that you have created the way for people to access. I love that term, temporarily abled. Yes, it's it's mind-blowing term when you think about mm-hmm. it. Since we're talking about digital tools and with teachers and our educators, we know that a lot of educators are moving towards blended learning environments and they're using Google Classroom or they're using Canvas or they have communication tools that are media or they're including multimedia in their newsletters and things like that. So in reality, teachers are becoming kind of like instructional designers and they have all this content online so what are some tips or what are some the top things that you wish teachers knew about accessibility as they're working in these digital environments that's an excellent question there there's so much to think about there's so much to know and understand that some of the basic things that I started out making sure on everything because this is a process learning about accessibility is a process and you're not going to learn it overnight So the first things to make sure are color contrast. That's a super easy thing to do. Uh, Red and green on a background doesn't work. Red text on a green background, you can't see it. Uh, Your colorblind students may not be able to see it. Your parents may not be able to see it. You need to make sure that there's enough contrast in the colors that can uh, help them with reading. Making sure that the size can be increased. Don't lock your your font sizes. Make sure that if you're on your screen and you're hitting the, the plus key to magnify your screen, that the the size is actually increasing as well. Make sure that you don't have too much, if you're showing like a a Google Slides or a PowerPoint, make sure you don't have too much text on a slide. Um, You can also check with screen readers. There's a free one called NVDA. And you can download that and listen to it just to see, because you may have some parents at home who are needing that. So just listen to it, make sure that it reads through it the way you want to. Make sure that everything is keyboard friendly. So make sure that you have your tab orders. If you're using 
Microsoft Word, use the headers um, so that everything is correct. Use the titles correctly because it actually puts it into a format that can be read by the screen reader. Otherwise, the screen reader is hopping all over the page and it doesn't make sense. So to back up, just in case someone is not even aware what a screen reader is, can you describe that? Yes, a screen reader is a tool uh, such as NVDA or a paid version of something like that would be JAWS. What it does is that it reads what's on the screen. That is very much just what it does. A person who is visually impaired will go to the screen with the tool and the, the reader will actually read it to them so that they can hear what's being said instead of reading it. I love that um, this is kind of looked at through a graphic designer's point of view. Um, I'm a, a wannabe graphic designer, as I always say, um, and I have several graphic design sessions where we talk about color contrast and font and, um, and text, but I've never talked about the importance of it and how it relates to accessibility. So that's something that's really been eye-opening for me and something that I can incorporate into my graphic design sessions as the why behind Very much the so. prettiness of everything. Great point, Misty. And we have just been talking about, as professional developers, making our presentations even better and using those same tips. You're, you're so right. That's a great point for accessibility. So Beth, you talked about headers also, and that was actually one of the first changes that I made when I tried to make my Google Docs uh, more accessible because mm -hmm. I was using bold text and just increasing my font size. So what's the problem with that? What that does is for the screen readers, is with the headers, if you're using the style guides, mm -hmm. and I use the style guides more in Microsoft Words because for me that is what goes into my programs. And so by using the style guides, when a screen reader comes in, it knows, it's, knows where to go. So it's not reading just from left to right, it knows a header means it classifies it as important. Okay. So then it will read the text below. And then you might have a subheader, which gives a little bit more context, a little bit more information. But it is, it's important if you're doing those to just make sure you're using the style guides that are provided. In Word, it's under the um, style. And under Google, it is under normal text, and they're heading one, two, three, and so that's what I first started doing. So this season we've been talking about equity. Can you talk a little bit about how accessibility is an equity issue? Accessibility is a huge equity issue. Everyone suffers from something at some point. It goes back to that everyone is temporarily able. By not having stuff available to your visually impaired, your auditory impaired, your cognitive impaired, or your physical impaired, you are shutting the world down for them. You are making their life more complicated. You're not opening up the world. So at that point, it becomes an equity issue is that they are not able to receive the same information as a, what appears to be a normal student. Okay, and it, what I hear you say is that maybe there are four different categories that need to be addressed with accessibility. So could you just say those one more time? Yes. Um, the ones that I identify with and the ones that I hear at conferences that are talked about the most are you're visually impaired. That could be either blind or colorblind, just to give two examples. Your auditory uh, listeners who might be deaf or hard of hearing, it doesn't have to be totally deaf, you have your different ranges of being able to hear. You have your cognitive disorders, which are the traumatic brain injuries or all sorts of other types, and your physical who can't use um, parts of their body. Yeah, so I know that um, I've used, I've started using the captioning feature in Google Slides when I go to do presentations. And I usually 
use it just to sort of demonstrate that teachers could be using it in their classroom with their students because I think it's such an, a powerful tool. But I've had several teachers come up to me at the end and say, I myself am, am hard of hearing, and I cannot tell you what a difference it has made to have your presentation have those captions. And it's an easy thing to do, and we can um, put in the show notes how, how teachers can access that. And I know Microsoft uh, PowerPoint has that as well. Well, okay. And so then that reminds me of something I retweeted yesterday is one of the rules that we've learned as presenters, always use the microphone. Mm-hmm. And it and something, Beth, that you're talking about being temporarily disabled, you may be in a presentation hall that you're sitting on row 100 and you can't hear the speaker, or you may be sitting under the air conditioner vent, or there's someone who is talking, whispering loudly behind you. And so one of the rules I've learned is if they offer you a mic, say yes, and it's not just for the hearing disabled. Right. right. It helps for everyone. And like what you were talking about with captions, it's actually encouraged for in classrooms if you're watching videos or anything like that for I also work with Discovery Education and their training um, for districts who are using that. And it is highly recommended if you're watching one of their videos to turn on the closed captioning because it brings the literacy in the auditory, the fluency, so students are better able to learn. They see it and they hear it at the same time. So, great. Okay, well, so talking about the visually impaired, we saw that last week Domino's was just sued because their app was not accessible. They were applying to the Supreme Court to rule that ADA did not apply to websites and apps, but now they everything has to be accessible. So the Supreme Court said, yes, this is going to apply. So what does the law actually say about accessibility requirements? There are a lot of laws that apply to it. Um, You have your 508 and your 504s where you are required Mm -hmm. to have everything be accessible. Um, The Domino's is the most recent. There is a Winn-Dixie case where they got in trouble, where Winn-Dixie, the grocery store chain, got in trouble for having a link to one of their um, outside outside sources. Mm -hmm. And their site, the outside source, was not accessible. So it went to the Supreme Court that Winn-Dixie was responsible for that site not being accessible because they were advertising it. So you have to take into consideration not only sites you create and you use, but sites that you link to. That's why a lot of our sites say, you are going to an outside source to kind of put that distinction of we can't mandate that they have theirs, but you may still find this resource usable. Well, and I think Google Sites now does that as well. If you link to an outside site, you sometimes get this little pop-up now leaving this Google site. Are you, is this where you want to go? So I've seen that there. So if, say, a school district, maybe a teacher had a teacher website, that site itself was accessible, as long as that teacher had a disclaimer of some kind saying this is a link to an external site, which may or may not be accessible or whatever the language would be, would that teacher be in compliance if if he or she called attention to the fact that the, the outside link was not potentially not accessible? That is a great question, and it's one that I would actually recommend that they talk to their school administrators and their school lawyers. Yeah. I know a lot of school districts have, have um, had a lot of attention about the lack of accessibility on their, yes. on their websites, and I think a lot of teachers are trying hard to get into compliance but don't really understand the necessity or maybe the the um, empathy that is is required to understand why this is such an important issue. Mm-hmm. 
I would agree with that. So when when I was talking to you about this episode, you gave the you gave an example of um, maybe a student might not be need things to be accessible, but maybe one of their parents is either permanently or temporarily disabled and maybe a visual impairment. So um, what what might a teacher need to know about materials that might be being sent home? If you are send if you have a student who has a blind parent and you send home a weekly note in the newsletter, the parent can't read it. They they just they can't. So if you send it to them via email, they can use their screen readers to go through and hear the information that is being shared. If you are sending home notes through the student and you think the parent's getting them, you may want to consider having it sent via email as well or giving them a call. I mean, they have if they're hard of hearing, they usually have a TDY phone so that somebody is translating through a different type of device, whether it's Braille or whether it is a visual screen so that they can still see and hear what you're saying. But to make sure that the parents are getting the information you're sending home, I would use email or give them a call. And I just, I thought it was interesting that teachers need to think about not only their students, but about their students' families as they are making these accessibility changes in their materials. Beth, I was listening to a podcast recently, and it was, the title was The Power of Inclusive Design. It was, so it was talking about physical objects, and the example in the podcast was talking about a swing, and for a little swing in the park, old school with the little flexible seat and the chain. So you think about what kind of person could access that swing. Well, you had to be able to sit upright. You had to have the arm strength to hold that. You would have to have something push you back and forth. And that just completely opened my eyes about thinking about the accessibility. So can you think about something similar in the online world of how, how we're considering these online pieces? So yes, in terms of the online, if you're talking to someone who has like the physical disability, you would use the keyboard controls. When you develop something using your style guides, you should be able to, on your computer, you should be able to just hit the tab key to move to the different segments and sections within your document. If you, and that's a simple, simple thing to test is you just start hitting tab to see where you're what lights up and where the mouse goes. So I think that with the online piece, you know, it's not just a physical disability, but what about if I break my arm? And that that goes back to, you know, being able to use your other arm Mm -hmm. with the tab. It goes to being able to use like like the stylus, you know, if you have to tap the screen. Oh. Um, If you are able to use a screen reader so that you don't even have to touch the screen, there are some computers that do have, that respond to voice commands. You know, you have your Alexa. Mm -hmm. So a lot of systems are starting to move towards where you can have just voice activated Mm -hmm. controls. And and I know that there was a student in my former district, at least one student who used eye controls Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, just physically to, to look at the screen. And that was how the student was able to move through a document because the physical impairments were so severe that that was that student's only option. Right. Well, Which goes to assistive technology. Yeah. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so much assistive technology that if you have someone with a, a certain physical type, and maybe you talk to our special pops, they can actually recommend specific things that would help. 
Well, what was so interesting about this episode, though, that, again, was kind of eye-opening, was they talked about the restaurants now who are just doing the order, the menu on a screen before you actually get to the counter, and then you pay with your credit card. So if you do that, you are leaving out the people who can touch the screen, who can read the screen, and who have credit cards. So, I mean, just so... You know, just the world and the design of things. Like I said, that episode was very eye-opening for me, thinking about the accessibility. And so when Region 10 said, we have to make everything accessible, it was at first frustrating for me. So, um, And I I am sure other teachers are feeling like that in the districts, too. I'm not going to lie. It was frustrating for me. (laughs) I mean, there's times that making things accessible – it's it's a lot more work I mean you have to you have to think about it at the beginning because you don't want to come back and go back and fix it and that was always my mentality in the past at at previous places was if there's a situation where I need to change it I'll go fix it then but now knowing how it can help benefit the greater good you think of it you think you literally think of it in a different way Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking about it from the very beginning, you're making it easier on yourself as well as all of your students, all parents, administrators, everyone. It's for the greater good. So much about equity uh, in our conversations has been about empathy and relationships. And I think if you just take a minute to to consider, you know, what might this mean to somebody to have that available when maybe they haven't had it available before? Yes. I think that can make a, a really big difference. And honestly, the accessibility tools are one of the most one of the things that I find the most exciting and gratifying about being in instructional technology these days because I've seen what a difference those tools can make to students learning so and Nancy you just talked about empathy and it reminded me of a conversation we had with another consultant who said that the person that does the accessibility training here has the participants blindfold themselves and then try to navigate a website. And I just thought about the psychological and emotional toll that would take on me if I was in her session, but really those are the experiences of people who truly need these accessibility features. Can you talk a little bit about how, um, or talk a little bit about the psychological and emotional toll that having things accessible might take on people it closes their world if you don't have access to something you're not getting the same experience that another peer might might be taking it beyond like the online environment and online classes like the wheelchair ramp those are a necessary part for those in a wheelchair because without them they are physically not able to go everywhere they are blocked or they're getting dropped I mean it's it's not a good situation if there's not a ramp so taking that into the online if you don't have that ramp for people to be able to come in and participate, their world is closed. I mean, and for some students, they may not know that their world is closed until you open. Mm, I like that. What are a couple of things that a teacher could do right away to address some basic accessibility issues? Take a look at, you know, the color contrast. Look at your fonts. Comic Sans is not a good font to use. Um, It is very hard to read. Friends don't let friends use Comic Sans. (laughs) Correct, correct. Make sure your fonts... They are legible, you know, maybe print them off and see how they look on the document and make sure you're not squinting your eyes. Use larger font sizes because that is that is easier to read. Um, I'm not saying put 48 
point font on mm-hmm. every document, but you know, think about your 14 to 16 range. Other, it's like there's so much that that's mm-hmm. the thing. There's so much to do. Uh, the first, I mean, but the first items are look at your tools in Microsoft Word and in PDF. Um, if you have the full version of PDF, you can actually run an accessibility checker which will bring up all the issues that your document has so that you can go in and fix it and make sure that you're following the rules. Well, in each episode, we've also talked about self-work. It's also taking the time to Google the accessibility features of some of the most common tools that you're using and then applying those to things that you're creating online. Well, and then there is also, speaking of Google, there is also a Chrome extension called Grackle that will allow you to check all of your Google products accessibility. So we'll give a link to that and then you can install that extension and then just check all of your Google products and see if they are accessible. So Beth, is there anything else that we need to know or what else would you like to share about accessibility? And There is actually, when you were talking about the Domino's case, because mm-hmm. that came down last week or early this week, Mattel actually introduced last week a new Uno game that is in Braille so that the blind um, can actually play Uno for the first time without having to self-create their course with the cards. They also, two years ago, introduced uh, another Uno game with Color Ad, so that the colorblind were able to be able to play the game without having to be stopped because of the color, the color choices. Go Mattel. Go Mattel, I know, I'm so excited Mm -hmm. for them. Uh, So there are it's, it's not just people in education. It is companies who are really starting to get out there and really make sure that they're making their actual products accessible to more people. Um, I would like to see how they can do it for you know a physical impairment. Let, let's see what comes up. I was also in May, I went to a conference at Access U in Austin, which is all about accessibility. It's not just education, it is corporations. It's not just Texas, it is, they had people, um, I think there were some international who come together and talk. And we were able to hear from one person, um, Haben Gurma, who is the first deafblind graduate of Harvard Law. Mm-hmm. And it brought home in many more ways than just one of accessibility may not, you may not need just one tool because as a deafblind, you can't hear, the closed captions don't help you. Um, screen readers don't help you. being able to make sure that it could go to her braille reader and I mean there are extra steps and I'm not not experienced 100% on that part but just have that in mind that it may not just be one disability it could be multiple Mm, very good things to remember yeah Mm -hmm. well this season we're inspired by one of Maya Angelou's quotes do the best you can until you know better then when you know better you do better So thank you very much, Beth, for informing us about all of these things that we need to be thinking about with accessibility and helping our students and their parents and communities. And you are helping us know better and do better. Great. (laughs) And I totally agree with that. (laughs) So if others want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Right now it's via email. Um, You can reach me at beth.doliver, D-O-L-L-I-V-E-R, at region10.org. And we will share that in our show notes. Okay. So thank you all for joining us today. We hope you will continue these conversations with a colleague, share this episode with a friend, and reflect on your own beliefs. Continue to diversify your feed, explore the works shared, and check out the show notes for additional resources we refer to today. 
If you want to continue the conversations or if you have additional questions or feedback, find us on Twitter at Dig Learn Radio. So thanks again, Beth. Thank you.